Welcome to the NIHR Dementia Researcher podcast, brought to you by DementiaResearcher.nihr.ac.uk, in association with Alzheimer's Research UK and Alzheimer's Society, supporting early career dementia researchers across the world. Welcome to Dementia Researcher, a science and careers podcast for everyone, not just dementia researchers, despite the name. I'm Adam Smith. I'm the program director for the NIHR, which probably sounds much fancier than it actually is. And I'm one of the people behind this show. On this podcast, we aim to drop some knowledge on you and encourage you to discover something new about the research field you work in or to discover something about another field and how it connects to your own. Because connections are important. We also hope to provide a little support and advice to get you through all the different stages of your career from undergraduate to finally getting that tenured position that seems so far off in the distance. Today's show is for the Instagramming pragmatic Generation Z uh, to give them an idea of what they can expect if they decide to pursue an MSc and to encourage them to make dementia the focus of their studies. To help me uncover the truth behind student life, I'm joined by a very special guest. She started blogging for us and sharing her journey almost a year ago and Having made the move from Glasgow to London, she's lived through lockdown studies, remote learning, and is about to finish her MSc in Dementia and Neuroscience at UCL. Hello, Morgan Daniel. Hi, it's good to be back on another podcast. And you didn't mind me calling you a, a Generation Z. Is that, would you consider yourself in that generation? Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not quite up to date with the TikTok generation, but I'm, yeah, I'm one of the Instagrammers, so you've got, you've got I, I was just going to say, you are on Instagram though, right? I've seen. Yeah, you've got me there, yeah. Um, well, can you believe it's been 11 months since we recorded our very first introductory podcast with you? Uh, no, I mean, I suppose this year was a bit strange because part of it kind of flew in, you know, I can't believe it's been 11 months, it's kind of flown by and I'm almost at the end now which is scary to think um but at the same time obviously lockdown I uh, made made this year quite strange it was um kind of felt long in parts but it has definitely flown by looking back on it so yeah it's been an interesting 11 months and as a result of that we of course never actually met face to face I've seen you on the end of a computer but we've never had a chance to meet I think a lot of people who haven't met me in the last 18 months are going to suddenly discover I'm much fatter than I appear <laughs> just because you only really ever see my head and shoulders well thank you very much for coming back to join us today uh, Morgan to get the ball rolling maybe uh, for those that haven't been listening or weren't listening 11 months ago could you give us a recap on what you did before you came to UCL and what you made you choose dementia and this course yeah so I was a student at the University of Glasgow I studied psychology and neuroscience for my undergrad um, but my main interest had always been in uh, mainly dementia but kind of neurodegenerative diseases and I knew that I wanted to do a postgrad I knew that I wanted to do a master's to kind of figure out what exactly I was interested in and what kind of career path I wanted to take um, so I started looking for master's degrees that kind of focused on my areas of interest um, and then I came across the master's degree at UCL in um, dementia and I came across that quite early in my studies so I think I was only in my first or second year of university um, in my undergrad that I decided that this was this was a course I wanted to aim for um, so yeah now obviously I've uh, nearly finished that so um, yeah from Glasgow to here it's been a journey but um, yeah the course obviously is something that I've had planned for quite a while. So it's nice to finally be making my way through that. 
That's quite planning ahead. I mean, if you were early in the second year of your undergrad, you'd already decided this was what are you going to do? Um, does that mean you've already? I mean, we'll come to this as we as we talk. But does that mean you have you? How far ahead? Just out of interest, have you got your life planned out? I think I've had my life fairly planned out from before I even reached university. Um, I was applying for my undergraduate degree when I was at school, knowing what area I wanted to go into. And I think obviously that can change when you start your undergrad. I think when you start a university, you might be interested in one thing and then it totally changes down the line. But I was quite lucky that I knew I wanted to go into some sort of area of like dementia, neurodegeneration, um, having studied biology at school and it's never changed. That is exactly what I was interested in when I got to my undergrad. Um, so very organized, but um, particularly when it comes to these kind of five, 10 year plans. <laughs> and well, and kind to being able to adapt as well. So for, if you're a new listener or one of the many people that only listen to the podcast and don't actually visit our website, I should let you know that we've been following Morgan over the last year. And Morgan's been writing blogs for us every month just to to give us a look at what life is like at UCL, studying for an MSc and some of the challenges you face, what kind of things you learn. Did a Twitter takeover as well to talk about a day in the life and things. So your first blog was our basic introduction. And you've also written about uh, how to decide if a master's is the right choice for you. You covered some very personal topics around the practicalities of moving from Scotland to London, the homesickness and imposter syndrome. You've written some very helpful guides on tips and tricks for effective studying, um, how you approached writing up your dissertation, how to get some hands-on experience. And then most recently about your overall experience of online learning and how that's changed as a student. And I guess thinking about it, I guess even the people who are listening to this now are thinking about doing an MSc next year or even the year after might still be affected by that. I think most education courses seem to be suggesting that they'll have these hybrid models in future. So that might come up. So tell us, your experience has been anything but normal given the pandemic. What what does your average week look like, though? Because I think this might be particularly helpful for anybody who's uh, doing an undergrad right now who just kind of wants to know what to expect when they go to grad school. Yeah, um, so this is obviously, this year hasn't been what I had expected when I planned my uh, my master's years ago. But A, I think I still have tried to make the most of it. And it honestly wasn't as kind of negative as I expected it to be. Um, there was definitely still a way of making it more structured than I thought it was going to be with online learning. So my kind of average week, it depends at what point of the year I was in. But when I was in um, kind of term time and first and second terms um, the for the summer, I had classes, so I had quite a lot of kind of contact hours on my course specifically, and that would kind of vary in how they wanted to organize our classes. So for some of them, we had videos that we had to watch beforehand, and then it was like a Q&A session that you attended, or for some of them, it was like a live lecture. So my week was mainly made up of kind of preparing for my lectures, preparing for any classes or tutorials, watching any videos that I had to, um, and kind of thinking of questions I might want to ask or things I might want to go into more depth in um, during the lecture in the Q&A session. And then I tried my best to stick to kind of a nine to five schedule. Um, there was obviously times that that would kind of run over and I'd be working outside of that. But I did try my best to stick to kind of nine to five Monday to Friday um, just to keep it kind of like a healthy balance. So 
my week was mainly work during kind of normal working hours, um, work on my assignments and things like that. Um, sometimes that would run over into the evenings, but then I tried to keep my evenings free to kind of exercise, see friends and um, that sort of thing. So it wasn't as unstructured as I expected it to be, particularly during term time. Um, it was, you know, you do have stuff to be getting on with during the day and you do have classes to attend. And then come the summer, it's now into my dissertation writing period. So I still have meetings. I still have uh, supervisor meetings and lab meetings to go to. So that does provide a little bit of structure during the week. So there's a significant talk component then in those first couple of terms. It's mostly, I mean, which sounds very similar to undergrad in that respect. Then you you go to classes, you learn stuff, I guess, pre-pandemic. But for you, it was videos and questions and and some live tutorials. Yeah, I think pre-pandemic, it was all um, on campus, mainly around kind of Queen Square. So you were in live lectures. But um, I I mean, honestly, there isn't that much difference between being in person for live lectures to being online for live lectures at the moment. Um, I found obviously that it is different and that you don't see your peers. But in terms of actually interacting with lecturers, I honestly think I preferred the online uh, lecture format. But yeah, it was. It was quite full on. I mean, there was weeks where you had uh, more contact hours than others, but you did have quite a few classes each week. So it was very similar to undergrad in that respect at that point. Um, the only kind of real difference is that it's an area that's so much more specific to what you're interested in. So there's maybe a lot more kind of passion involved in like what you're actually learning and the teaching. Um, and you do probably spend a lot more time doing extra reading and kind of preparing materials and stuff like that than you might in your undergrad. So there is a few differences in like preparation and stuff, but in terms of actual teaching and timetables, um, it really was no different to my undergrad. Uh, yeah, I get that. So it's, it's kind of that more deep dive specifically into the topic. Great. And I guess though, it must have been slight frustrating. I mean, I know you said you liked the online bit. I'm sure that wasn't just because you could wear pajamas all day, but surely you then you could have been anywhere, right? I mean, you've been on camp, right, adjacent to campus, and but could you have been just at home doing this? Yeah, there was people learning from all over the world. Um, there was people learning from America. There was people learning from different parts of Asia. Like it was quite strange you know you had classmates that were staying up late at night to kind of listen in or your classmates that were getting up really early so it was really strange and that was something that I did kind of struggle with at one point during the year was you know I'm I'm living here but I really could be living at home um I could be doing this from anywhere I could be choosing to live somewhere else it was it was quite a difficult thing during lockdown especially so I think that's one of the benefits for a lot of people of online learning was that they could live at home or they could live wherever they wanted to and um, whether it's with you know family with friends um but yeah, I was I was based very close to campus all year, um, and unfortunately, didn't really get to see that much of campus. But um, yeah, it was, it was it comes with flexibility. Um, but you do you do kind of miss, I suppose, the feeling of that you know I actually go to this university or I actually go to UCL. There was kind of you miss that feeling sometimes that um, when you weren't on campus. Yeah, I I could understand that. I mean, it sounds like you had the, I'm going to say the worst of both worlds because. It's not like you were on campus, so you got to have the social scene that goes with being on campus. Um, and you also didn't get to just be at home and have, you know, meals cooked for you and your friends nearby instead. So it must have been quite, Did was that quite isolating? Was it, I mean, how have you coped with that? Yeah, I think it kind of varied a little bit throughout the year. Um, I'm quite close with my family, so it was a really difficult decision to make to move to London because I knew that 
there was the potential that I could do it at home um, and it might be a little bit more difficult or I might miss out on a few things but I knew that was an option um, it was nice being on campus for when there was that kind of the, a few opportunities to be there um, so we did have some in-person classes it was um, and like journal clubs and things like that at the start of the year before Christmas before um, Covid really kind of hit a second peak um, so we did have in-person classes which I was quite lucky to be able to go to and a lot of people in my um, my my course did actually move to London for the first semester but come second semester a lot of people chose to stay at home um, I was still here because I actually worked in a job here so I had to stay here um, but yeah it was I think I would have regretted not giving it a shot and not having my chance to kind of be on campus and see the university that I was going to um, make use of the study spaces and just kind of make it make the best of a bad situation but yeah I do think there was potentially benefits to staying at home as well so I don't blame anybody that did it from their no no bedroom <laughs> but I suppose you, you still got to kind of experience that year of living in London particularly I think for somebody who's moving from you know elsewhere in the country the idea of coming and having a year of living in London is quite exciting and I guess you're making up for it now that restrictions have been being eased off and I think even just being able to go for your daily run around some famous parks and passing places in the scene and being in that space kind of helps you be in the mindset of learning which you might not have had in quite the same way had you been at home yeah I think if I'd been at home the masters might have been a lot more difficult I think there was actually probably less distractions living um independently in London and yeah it was nice you know every so often when I was maybe kind of losing sight of why I was here of what I was doing I would take a stroll down to Queen Square I'd grab a coffee in the local area and I'd kind of go to the library and realize you know no, I, this is this is probably where I should be and it is actually a good place to kind of learn from so my grades are probably quite thankful that I, uh, that I lived here through a, a lockdown <laughs> and I'm quite thankful that I'm now living here during summer when we're coming out of lockdown. So talking about learning, have you learned much? I mean, you you knew a bit about dementia before I assume you came here. How much have you learned in the last year? I thought I knew a bit about dementia before I came here, um, but it turns out I was kind of barely scraping the surface, really. Um, yeah, it's been like something I've been passionate about for a long time, but I just think there was so much that I didn't know and like the chance to learn from so many experts. Like, I think I've probably learned more about this than... And I remember learning like through four years of university from my undergrad, like I've just, there's been so much information packed into one year, but it hasn't really felt overwhelming. There was maybe times before Christmas when I had exams that I was kind of overwhelmed with how much information we'd taken on. But at the end of the year, like it, it's felt um, like it's flown by. I've kind of taken everything on. It's been, it's been a really interesting course, but I have learned so much. Um, just to, like, just about different subjects as well so we're quite lucky that you can choose different modules and you can kind of it's a little bit of flexibility in what you choose to study and the dementia masters even though it is an MSc in dementia it doesn't just focus on dementia so you do you do learn about other neurodegenerative diseases and I think it has kind of helped me to not narrow down what I'm interested in necessarily in terms of you know pinpointing something but it's kind of shown me that actually I'm interested in a lot more than just, you know, for example, Alzheimer's disease, which I was interested in when I arrived. Like I'm actually now interested in a lot of different areas. So, yeah, it's been great. Um, it's probably been more than I hoped it would be, to be honest. Like I didn't realise how much I would learn and how useful it would be. So I'm really glad that I had the opportunity to um, to learn from the staff at Queen Square and to kind of make the most of that. 
I mean, I work for UCL as well, so I'm I, uh, probably biased, and I'm sure other universities are amazing and cover this in equally as well. But I think that is one of the great things about UCL is, is that there is so much going on in every possible area you can imagine. You know, there's lots going on in hunting disease and FTD and then um, PCA and things like that. And everywhere you go, you bump into different individuals in different groups that are doing something absolutely unique, which I think is is fascinating. So back to the basics, what exactly does the course cover then? So the course gives you a kind of general overview of different um, neurodegenerative diseases um, and the kind of clinical neuroscience behind them, and then delves into the practical side of that. So we learned a lot about the different diseases, um, different types of dementia in the first semester. And then the second semester, we had the opportunity to kind of delve into more of the current research and the kind of new research that's emerging. Um, and a lot of that is emerging from experts that are at UCL and they're at Queen Square. So there is a lot of kind of world leading experts here. So you are learning directly from them about their own research, which is quite exciting. Um, and then learning a kind of about how you might deal with these neurogenitive conditions and different dementias when it comes to you know the clinic or when it comes to um kind of diagnosis and like hospital-based um stuff so yeah it was really interesting to learn from a wide variety of staff as well and their perspectives and how they work with dementia so i kind of came into this thinking i might learn from a few doctors here and there um that it would be mostly researchers but we've learned from you know kind of people that do full-time research we've learned from phd students um, we've learned from neurologists, um, occupational therapists, physios, speech and language therapists. Um, so yeah, there's a much more kind of wide range of staff that we learned from than I first thought as well. And I think it's given everyone a really good overview of um, how kind of multidisciplinary it is and different aspects of dementia. And it kind of gives you more of an insight into why you're actually studying these things as well, because you do learn from patients. Um, so you get interaction with some patients, which actually we still got this year through an online format. So I was really grateful for that. Um, so we learned a lot from patients and how it might affect them and how it might affect their families. So it really is like you learn a lot in a lot of different areas and it's really good for kind of narrowing down what you might be interested in and um, kind of narrowing down maybe what kind of what kind of research you want to go into if that's your thing. So whether that's wet labs, dry labs, clinical, you know, it's, it's great for that as well. That's, that's exactly what I was going to say, I guess, because then lots of people do MSCs at various career stages. I, I guess one of the natural progressions is from a MetaMSC to go on to do a PhD. And it sounds like the way this is taught gives you a fantastic opportunity to see all the different elements and to learn from inspiring people who are going to probably try to sell their areas, whether that's biomarkers or looking at languages or communications problems or whatever it is, they're going to given a chance to inspire you and encourage you to to follow through on that field and whether you're studying for your MSc in Bradford or Scotland or Hull or you know Cambridge Oxford wherever you are I guess it's going to be the same in those places too and each place probably has a, uh, a particular interest as well. Yeah it's definitely it's um it's been a great place you know I think there's a lot of people in my course that want to do different things but there's a lot of people that do want to do a PhD and it's a really good opportunity to kind of meet the people that you might potentially want to do a PhD with, or if it's not necessarily with them, they'll probably have the right contacts that you can kind of take a look into and learn more about. But it's also, it gives you the background that you need if you want to go into research or a clinical career, it gives you the background in, you know, statistics and research methods. And I thought I knew enough about statistics coming into this master's. I did not, I did not know half of what I've kind of come out knowing and, you know, the practice. Are you an expert in coding now? 
I'm I am I cannot believe how much I've um I've improved in like less than a year like I remember I mean don't get me wrong my undergrad the university that I went to was very very good for stats and for um, teaching you about coding but I think the actual chance to kind of do it yourself and do it with big projects has been great so yeah it does teach you a lot and it prepares you for whatever it is you might want to go on and do well that sounds like a brilliant topic for a future blog by the way we've not had enough people write about coding I don't know if it's because they find it quite hard to share that in the written word perhaps um, so, I mean, it sounds like you're doing a great job of selling this for UCL. If you're listening, we do take uh, sponsorship money. <laughs> we, we should, of course, add that. I mean, I'm sure anybody who's looking at an MSc, we do actually have on our website a um, higher education directory of all the uh, MSc and PhD courses that you can do across the country. And you'll find that each university quite often has something special that they do. So in Bradford, they do amazing work on dementia care mapping and and other things. Other places will be stronger on the neuroscience or on the clinical side of things. Um, I think if you have a look at that directory, see if you can find what you're looking for. I think all the prices are pretty much the same. I don't think they're very, maybe aside from the cost of living in in different places, perhaps. And if you're overseas and you're not in the UK, of course, the UK's always very welcoming were there many overseas students on your course Morgan yeah there was actually there was quite a few people there was people who um were you know potentially had been living overseas their whole life or there was people who had maybe been from somewhere in Europe and had gone and studied in like America for example and then kind of come back to the UK to do um their master's so there was there's people from all different nationalities um it did mean you know people getting flights home were flying out to all different places and we were kind of tuning in on zoom and seeing the back loads of different backgrounds but um yeah lots of different nationalities and I think that's one of the good things as well about doing a master's in this kind of field is that the staff are from lots of different kind of places um loads of different backgrounds in terms of teaching staff usually as well so it's been yeah it's been good to kind of have a quite a mixed cohort and to meet people from different parts of the world um coming from Scotland which is quite small it's been nice to kind of meet a wide variety people great so if you're overseas uh, come and do a year of full-time masters in the uk and you can base yourself in amazing edinburgh or glasgow you could be over in cambridge oxford up in manchester or down in exeter or southampton all of these places are doing uh, masters courses um and of course at ucl as well so do have a look at that directory i'm sure there'd be something for you and give you a a year of living here and, and maybe you'll be persuaded to stay further so of course Hopefully it's not all been work. Have you managed to socialize a little bit at least? I I've, I mean, I should. I've seen, of course, your Instagram pictures. It looks like you spend a lot of time sitting in parks and there might have been a, a little bit of alcohol. Definitely not as much as in my undergrad, but um, that's part of part of growing up, I suppose. Um, yeah, no, it has been a totally different experience to my undergrad. I think that's probably it's probably going to be a different experience regardless you know when you move into postgrad um studies rather than undergraduate but it has been different it's been good obviously moving to London and getting to kind of explore a new city but I was quite lucky when I moved that I had a job here so I actually met quite a few people through my job and um, if I hadn't been for that it might have been more difficult living in London during lockdown and kind of moving not knowing anyone but um I think the one thing that I've realized about London as well is that the chances that if you bump into somebody and you don't have a, you know, the chances that you're going to have a mutual connection. Um, it's the city definitely 
isn't doesn't feel as big as it actually is once you get to know a few people here and there you will have kind of mutual friends and stuff so it has been lucky having a job that allowed me to meet people um, and I did live in a I lived in student halls with um, lots of students so unfortunately because of my job there was kind of like a, a different sort of dynamic there I was in like a very much a welfare position in those halls um, but it was a really good opportunity to still kind of speak to people every day socialize um, and just have that kind of interaction rather than just being stuck in my bedroom all the time on zoom it was nice to actually see people in person so yeah it's been it's been nice meeting new people um and i'm quite lucky that i've had a few friends move to london as well recently so it's been good to kind of get out and do a bit more a bit more socializing and see a bit more now that things are opening up again well so so you're incredibly hard working i mean so you've had the halls job you've been studying and I know recently you've been doing, you've been working in the NHS as well, doing, yeah, is that yeah. as a care assistant? Yeah, I've been a healthcare assistant um, or sometimes called a nursing assistant. Um, I think a lot of people know it back in the day as an auxiliary. Um, yeah, so I've had a few jobs. I've done my master's, obviously, um, and then I've worked as a resident advisor in student halls, which is sometimes known as a living support assistant. Um, and then also I've worked on the NHS um, on the bank. So they've both been um, pretty flexible jobs, to be honest. And one of them takes place kind of on call overnight. So luckily, if not too much happens, you, um, you get to sleep through most nights. And then obviously the other one is um, is bank work. So it's just kind of choosing when and where I want to work. So it has been quite flexible, but I have been been keeping myself busy that way. Yeah. So has all this prepared you for for the next step? What what is what does come next? It sounds like you're well prepared, whatever that is. Yeah. So uh, during my kind of masters at the start, I was really still figuring out what exactly I wanted to do. So I knew that I wanted to continue with a career in research in some way, but I wasn't sure if I wanted to combine that with a more clinical career. So I went in thinking. I would just do a PhD um, and I would just do full-time research, but I kind of came to the conclusion probably kind of a third of the way through the through the year that I really wanted to do neuropsychology, having learned from a lot of neuropsychologists, having um, that been like a big part of the chunk of my course. Um, I realized that that's what I wanted to do, but I was very reluctant to admit that to myself at first, because to do that, you have to do clinical psychology, which is very, very competitive. So I was kind of putting it off for a while, um, but I came to the conclusion that I do want to try and do the doctorate in clinical psychology. So to do that, I've been kind of, um, you know, using part time jobs as a way of gaining work experience at the same time. So obviously the benefit of having a part time job and having some money come in, but also using that for my future work experience. So everything that I'm doing at the moment is kind of tailored towards gaining entry to the doctorate in clinical psychology um, and gaining a bit of experience working with patients and things like that. Before we started recording today, we were talking about the the things you had and hadn't gotten to do. And we, we were talking about how you'd finally gotten the chance to go into a lab, which of course has been the big gap in the last year, is not having the opportunity to spend time in the labs doing experiments using the kit and having exposure to that side of things. Do you think if you'd had that, that might have influenced you more? I mean, are you pushed towards this because you haven't actually had the lab work this year? And if you'd done more of that, you'd have gone, wow, I love this. This is amazing. I'm I'm awesome at pipetting and I, I like the stuff that wizards can I... Do you think that would have been different? Yeah, it was actually so. It was actually today that I was in the lab for the first time, just before we recorded this podcast. So I got a chance to get into um, one of the kind of big labs and um, just below the Dementia Research Centre um, next to UCL. So 
it was exciting it was like brand you know I mean it's the fancy kind of brand new equipment and it's stuff that I'd never seen before and it was great getting a chance to use it and you know that kind of feeling when something actually works as you're going through experiments like that's great um but for me personally I I knew that I had always wanted to work with people so I knew that I wanted to work with participants and research and that I was very much a kind of people person when it comes to research so I didn't want to work in wet labs and um, I'd known that for a long time but I think there is quite a lot of people in my course who do want to work in wet labs or they're considering that field and they did feel like they were missing out this year and not having labs and um, especially because some of the dissertation topics that should have been lab kind of wet lab based had to be analyzing old data or kind of analyzing new data but it was just the analysis side of things so it is a shame obviously that that year that this year we've we've not had the chance to get into uh, wet labs but I do feel obviously quite lucky that they're doing what they can for us now that things are open again and that we've got less restrictions that we can get into labs yeah for um, you know a couple of days and they're really focusing on building as many lab skills as they can in the wet labs in this couple of days so that at least we've got that to kind of put on the cv and to move into research we we kind of have a better idea of what we're doing and finding a way around the different microscopes in a wet lab will be uh, will be great so and you just have to hope that the any employers out there that are looking or hiring for their phd students next time are going to be understanding of this and accept that you know people haven't had the same experience that they might have had over the course of the year we, we talked on your project there. I, I don't want to spend too long on this, but so what, what has your end of dissertation project been about? So I've been working in the Weill lab at UCL with Dr. Ramona Weill. Um, I've been looking at Parkinson's disease dementia. So like I said, I commenced my master's thinking that I was interested in Alzheimer's disease and I've ended up kind of all over the place really with what I'm interested in. But um, I've been looking at Parkinson's disease dementia. So whether or not we can predict the development of dementia in Parkinson's disease using online visual tests. So it's a long running kind of longitudinal study. It um, takes place across four years and it's quite a large study as well. It's across over 30 sites in the UK um, and it's been running now for a while. It's been running since 2016, 2017. Um, so I've kind of jumped onto the topic, um, jumped onto the research and been helping with the kind of testing and stuff like that and then um, analyzing the data across a couple of years so it's the vision in parkinson's disease study that i've been working on and that's there's a website for that if anybody wants to read more more into it there's a website for it um but yeah it's been really interesting it's been a great opportunity to work in a lab for the first time so to attend lab meetings and stuff like that and learn from other people who are maybe researching slightly different areas of it but kind of all around the same topic um, and yeah i'm just finishing up my dissertation at the moment so i've got a first draft and i'm just editing that It'll be interesting to see the results across the four years. So once the longitudinal data has been collected, it'll be interesting to see any kind of changes across those four years. But um, it's a really interesting field and vision tests and Parkinson's is quite a new thing. It's quite novel research and there's there's not much um, on the topic at the moment. So it's nice to be part of a really new area um, and kind of Ramona Wiles kind of leading leading the, the field almost in that kind of area at the moment. So it'll be really interesting to to see the results coming out of that. And does, does anything happen to the results of this? I mean, to your decision, does it, it's not just like, oh, we'll give them something to do just to keep them busy and to finish off their course. I mean, the, this is research of worth. It's, it's valuable. It'll be used. Will it, does it get published or does it add to a wider body of knowledge? I think that's a big difference between undergrad and master's level research is that my undergrad research, don't get me wrong, it was really useful and it was, it was really good research to have done. But I think when it comes to master's level research, you realise 
that you're actually contributing towards what a lab is researching or what somebody's researching and that is actually like of quite high significance the work that you're doing um so I think at the moment because it's a longitudinal study and we're very much a kind of baseline area at the moment um in the analysis like there's not necessarily lots and lots of significant results but um that's not a bad thing it's not a bad thing to kind of not have significant results at the moment and it's still important to acknowledge those so yeah depending on how well I do in my dissertation we'll see about <laughs> publication and things like that you'll but, get a footnote in yeah the, in the we'll study, see yeah. if I get a footnote somewhere but um yeah no I think it would be it would obviously be great to have my research published I don't know if that if that's going to happen but I know that some of the other research that's been going on with master's students in the lab this year is definitely um of the kind of standard that should be published and um I think probably will be attempted um that'll probably be submitted to different journals and stuff um and yeah it's been nice being part of a lab that there has been a lot of papers published recently so it's kind of seeing the process of somebody writing up and somebody creating their figures and things like that and analyzing their data all the way to publication has been really interesting so there's there is a shift i think when you get to master's level of how important your research is and the kind of standard that you're writing at oh that's great because that means it's it's not just about you learning but you are actually as part of your master's contributing to the the field which is what people what people want so very last question for you Looking back now, is there anything you wish you'd known beforehand that you didn't or anything that you would have done differently? I don't think there is anything I would have done differently. I think I'm the kind of person who doesn't really, a bit cliche to say, but doesn't really live with any regrets. Like there's, there's nothing really that I would change because had I lived at home, yes, it might have been comfortable. It would have been cheaper. Um, it would have been nice to have, you know, like you said, hot meals on the table and things like that. But I don't regret moving to London and trying to kind of discover a new city and um, I don't like you know I've met lovely people when I've been here I've gained great work experience in my time here um, and I really have learned a lot and I've, I've been very lucky I think to kind of live near campus and still get to experience being here so there's nothing really that I would have changed the course if anything kind of exceeded my expectations so I'm very very glad that this is the course that I chose to do and I don't regret choosing to do a master's um, in particular this year when the job market was really really tough anyway I don't regret you know making that decision to do a master's years ago I think it was just kind of lucky that that's what I wanted to do so there's nothing really that I regret um, the only thing that I think I would have done beforehand is practice my coding before I got to my master's is definitely because I'm fine now I'm in the swing of it but just you know that kind of the learning shift where you're moving from you know coding for the purposes of doing a research methods class to actually coding for your own research and for quite big data sets um, I do wish that I'd been a little bit more prepared for that and just the time that it kind of takes to get used to it but that's probably the only thing really that I wish I'd kind of prepared myself for I think other than that I was quite happy with the standard of work that I'd done beforehand and I think I was quite prepared in terms of my knowledge um, and to be honest you learn so much that it's very difficult to prepare for um, for this kind of learning so yeah there's nothing I regret and nothing really that I would change. Well thank you very much Morgan it's been great getting to know you and working with you over the last year you have one or two more blogs left I, I think I've got one at the moment that's got to go out is there another one after that? Yeah, there's just a blog in September. Um, we'll see. There might be more than one or two coming up. We'll kind of see what happens. But hopefully I'll still be able to keep in touch, you know, whatever I move into next or whatever. That's I'm what I was going to say. We're, we're recording this in August. It'll be come out sometime in September. So I guess by the time you're listening to this, they'll go and have a look at Morgan's blogs. Uh, there might still be another one to still come. Do keep us up to date on your progress. Um, and I hope you'll come back again and let us know how you get along and 
how the next stage pans out because I know I know you're looking for jobs and next courses now right and if anybody's listening and they're looking for a, a clever newly graduated MSc student Morgan <laughs> you're in the market for a job yeah I'm, I'm, yeah um, yeah no come I on, do. well do you want I'll give you a come on you've got a 30 second pitch to to any potential employers on the spot um, elevator yeah. pitch please i would love uh, i would love a job coming out of this masters <laughs> no i'm not i'm yeah I'm, I'm job hunting at the moment um i do have a few interviews and stuff lined up but just kind of not being too hard on myself it's very difficult to get a job at the moment research is you know it's it's difficult to find the right fit and to find the job that's right for you and i i do think that things will fall into place where they're supposed to it's, it's always been that way that's something that i do very much believe in um so i'm sure i'll find the right the right job at the right time well, we wish you every look in that. And in all seriousness, Morgan's uh, bio and all her blogs are on our website. Um, so, And that includes details of her Twitter and contact details. If you want to reach out or you've got something you, you, you think she might be interested in. And if you're at home thinking maybe I could do an MSc, you totally could. Um, whether that's grad school in the USA or here in the UK, there are so many unfilled positions. We recently uh, reached out to all the institutions running MSCs to to check how full they are. And there wasn't a single course that came back and said they were full. So definitely do consider applying. Dementia really does need more researchers, particularly people from black, Asian, minority, ethnic backgrounds. There was published research last week from the AIC that talked about there's an underrepresentation of people from um, those backgrounds in research as well and it, it really makes a difference if the researchers uh, encouraging those people to participate in studies are also from the from the same background so please consider a future interventional research in one of the MSc courses you'll find details of all those on our website uh, you'll also please do take a look at Morgan's blogs they all come with narrations so you can hear her reading them out loud something I'm sure she's loved doing in the last year You'll find all of those on Dementia Researcher website, but also on our um, blogs podcast as well. Do go and look it up. I think that's all we've got time for today. Thank you ever very much again, everybody for tuning in. And Morgan, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. And it's been, yeah, it's been great this year. It's been great kind of uh, interacting with everyone. And thanks so much for everything. Um, and yeah, it's been great to be on the podcast again. Thank you very much, Morgan. And please, everybody, remember to like, subscribe and review our podcast. Uh, using the app that you're in. Thank you, everybody, again, for voting for us in the People's Podcast Awards. Thanks. Goodbye. Brought to you by DementiaResearcher.nihr.ac.uk in association with Alzheimer's Research UK and Alzheimer's Society, supporting early career dementia researchers across the world.